folks, and welcome to the Leadology Podcast. This is a place where we talk trombone to trombonists about trombone. Oh man, is there anything cooler? We get to discuss the wonderful world of trombone. And in this wonderful world, I mean, everybody's just happy to be here and happy, happy all the time because that's what trombone players do. So we're going to have a blast. Uh, Our first guest is the wonderful Isria Butler, Dr. Isria Butler, well known from the Count Basie Orchestra. He is the lead trombonist for that legendary ensemble. But even more than that, well, along with that, he's a Renaissance man, a polymath, if you will, and I think uh, exemplary of what we need to be in the 21st century as musicians. He is a trombonist, uh, extraordinary trombonist uh, across the board, symphonic, jazz, everything in between, um, a graduate of the Eastman School of Music, as well as, uh, as I mentioned, a member of the Count Basie band, but so many others as well. He plays bass trombone, lead trombone. In fact, he played all the chairs in the Basie band at one point or another. He took over for the great David Keim, who played lead with the band for quite a while. And uh, Isria has been on that lead chair ever since. Also, he embarked early on uh, in a career of administration work with uh, at the university level. So academically speaking, he's done a lot of administration work where he's run departments as well as taught trombone and many other things. Currently, he is the director of music at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. The great uh, jazz program there with uh, David Loeb and many others. Um, So he's a busy, busy young man, and uh, we're excited to have him here with us at the podcast. Let's, Let's get right to it, folks. Without any further ado, please welcome to the very first Leadology podcast, Dr. Isria Butler. And everybody is applauding wildly, and all the people said, Amen. <laughs> but uh, how are you doing, sir? Busy day for Israel Butler. Uh, yeah, always is somehow. But yeah, doing good. And this is the nerve center we're looking at, UNLV Central. This is. Um, it's interesting because no one is really here because we've all been told you can work remotely for the rest of the year. Ah. So- all my office staff is home. Nice. Well, maybe not nice. I mean, there's nobody oh. to help and whatnot, but. Well, well Dave, Dave Loeb is here as usual, so. Yeah, I would think uh, that is one busy fellow as well. An amazing, amazing musician. Well, I, you know what? Let's dive right in because as you see, the good doctor is here. You guys want to say hello? I... Hey, Doc. Good to see you. You see you, Israel. <laughs> Nice who could be on on standard Israel Butler time. Oh, <laughs> well, he said three o'clock my time. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was coming back from the Caesar's Palace. I had had lunch there with uh, the the band directors. Took me to lunch. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, you know what? I it occurs to me that this is all going to be audio, so I need to tell folks that it's Dr. John Marcellus who we've been referring to and known as Doc and 
right. the trombone world. He's a legendary performer, an educator, a conductor, everything. So uh, I'm awfully glad you could be here, Doc. Yeah. Doc was my teacher at the Eastman School of Music from 2000 to 2006. Oh. Yeah. I'm still learning from him and uh, his teachings. We stay in touch. Try to see him as often as possible. That's wonderful. And we were just talking about, I asked him, uh, what are you doing lately? And you said, Doc said. Oh, me said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is your, your cue. Just, just conducting uh, the uh, Port Ritchie Community Orchestra in a Christmas concert, December 10. That's wonderful. I've got some questions. For Dr. Israel, let's just start it up and everybody can join in because, uh, you know, I'll edit it later and it'll sound very organized. But we are being recorded right now, uh, just to let you know. Uh, I've talked with Doc about this a little bit as we were on Israel Standard Time, which, by the way, I'm going to send that to a chart called that to Scotty and see if he'll put it. <laughs> I don't know if he put it in the book. Uh, anyway, I've been impressed with a lot of things about Dr. Butler, but the thing that really jumps out at me is, is what I would describe as a Renaissance man, a polymath, somebody who covers all the bases. And I was talking with Doc about that and he answered one of my questions. I wondered if this was a, a, a natural thing that came to you playing all styles of music and all the different uh, instruments in the low brass area. Uh, naturally, was it intentional? Was it organic or? How did you get into just being into all different styles and genres? Um, probably started in high school, I guess. You know, we didn't really have a jazz band. Mm. Um, we tried we tried to put one together. You know, the band director tried to put one together, but it didn't stick because there wasn't really on the schedule. But we did have a show band that was kind of like a combo, and they played for the show choirs. Oh. Uh, so we got to, we played some road book tunes in there and then we, you know, played some arrangements for, you know, backing up the show choir that they sang and danced. Um, so so it, yeah. I started improvising then. Um, you probably know J.B. Scott. Mm. He would come I in. I know the name, yep. Come in and, and give us a hard time. And um, <laughs> a gentleman named Earl Binge, who had mm. retired from the Navy, he was a great saxophone woodwind doubler. Um, he would come in and beat us up. Um, ah. And the choir director was a really good bass player. So we started, wow. you know, learning to improvise then. But when, when I got into the, the Marine Corps, I was stationed in Oceanside and in San Diego. And I started playing, um, obviously, the different styles in the Marine Corps, the different functions that we, we played, but also playing Latin jazz and salsa and um, you know, straight ahead jazz, guys like Gilbert Castellanos hmm. there in San Diego. Gilbert plays with Clayton Hamilton and right, right, great trumpet player. Just playing jam sessions and <clears throat> playing bass trombone and tenor trombone and trying to, you know, just be as versatile as possible. Because I really initially wanted to play in the LA studios. Hmm. And, you know, guys like Bill Reichenbach scared me about it. <laughs> so. <laughs> He's, he's a scary individual. Go to school. Um, so, and, and George Roberts, I studied with George Roberts. Really? Wow. Which, 
which led me to study with Tom Irvin, which wow. and then called up called up Doc and told him about me when I wanted to go to Eastman. So, How about that? Do you remember that? I'll call, have to tell Doc? you about. I'll have to tell you about his audition tape he sent me when uh -oh. he was in San Diego band. The the tape was phenomenal. Here was you know. Uh, on tenor trombone, he sounded like Bill Watrous, and on bass trombone, he sounded just like George. Wow. So I said, I can't miss with this guy if he comes to Eastman. <clears throat> so he, he was invited for a live audition, and that was all it was. It's now history. Wow. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. yeah, I played a lot of different stuff at Eastman because, you know, that's, I thought that's what you did. You know, I saw Doc play everything, so I thought that's what you do on trombone. Why, why would and, you and just what years uh, right what years i think you were ahead of the curve because that wasn't the, the norm what years are we talking about here 2000 to 2006. oh yeah you mentioned that okay so it's early on the music business is starting to change a little bit uh not nearly as much as it is now but uh yeah i think you were still ahead of the curve it's a wonderful advantage that you were in a situation where that was just the norm to play everything just music is music yeah, I think that I think the trombone, you know, studio was a lot more versatile than maybe some of the others. It was, you know, accepted because we had the Bionic Bones, um, you know, yeah. which, which won the Kai Wendy competition, I think, at least twice when I was there. Um, mm -hmm. So there was room, there was always room for people to cross over. I've noticed that in trombone studios more than any other situation, certainly in the brass world, but maybe any other place is that trombonists are very, tend to be very versatile with the genres. Yeah, I mean, I always thought you have to, if you want to, you want to work, you want the gig or not. Can, can you, there it is. Yeah. There yeah. it is. Well, that leads right into another thought and a question is that, uh, you know, the music scene these days being very different from the uh, last century, the end of the last century and the beginning of this century, as we've seen things change. And, and, and one of them is that uh, a musician has to be so versatile. And even without music, they have to be versatile in uh, promotion and marketing and, and the whole thing. Uh, right. So uh, I think that you're an exemplar of that. I know that UNLV is lucky to have you there. And I'm not saying that just because it's the Israel Butler show. It's uh, that's true. That's what people need nowadays in uh, in education, I believe. Um, so how did the uh, your? It's pretty much at Eastman that you started developing some of the symphonic things to go with your jazz stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I played in orchestras. You know, even when I was in the Marine Corps, I was playing in the San Diego State Symphony Orchestra as a, a ringer. Oh, and, cool. Um, I grew up, you know, playing youth orchestra and. Um, I think I developed more as a as a classical soloist, um, you know, studying with Doc, but um, obviously exposed to playing a lot of the the repertoire. Something even talking about the versatility, um, I would play bass trombone one concert and tenor the next, and or one year in the trombone choir I would play bass trombone, the next year I would play um, tenor, wow. or I would play you know playing lead and jazz, you know, trombone in the, 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 the jazz trombone, you know, the bionics and then playing, you know, the music of Nova, which was the new music or 
Osea, which was also another new music group and playing in wow. the different jazz ensembles at Eastman. Mm -hmm. What a great opportunity. That's it still is, as I've told you, my son is there now playing cello right. uh, as a teaching assistant. Um, what a great opportunity that place is for this very kind of thing. So how often would you would you ever be in a situation where you'd have to go from bass trombone to tenor? Could you do that? Or is that a thing that's like, oh, let me leave a day between them or something? Or could you just switch? I just well, it, yeah, you just have to learn how to switch. I mean, there's wow. there's certain shows like um, I remember in the show Newsies, you had to go back and forth between tenor and bass trombone. Um, wow. And I, well, Several shows, promises, promises, also switched back and forth. It was just no, there's a, there's a lot of guys who do that, like yourself yeah. and Alex, Alex Isles, and uh, yeah. Matt Ingman in New York will do that. Yeah. Uh, so many cats. I I find it astounding. But that's was there a regime that you worked on to make such changes with mouthpiece sizes, or is that a natural something that just came to you? No, it was not natural. No, uh, I'm, I'm glad I, to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I mean, I did it for a long time. I mean, I started playing bass trombone in high school, but mm -hmm. um, actually John Fetchock and, and Reichenbach both gave me some good advice about how to warm up for that. Mm. Uh, you know, Fetchock always said when he was at Eastman, he would warm up on with his 88H um, on the big horn. Wow. And, and then Reichenbach kind of talked about when you warm up, you play all the trombones, you play high on the bass trombone and low on the tenor trombone. So I, I would always, wow. when I was freelancing in New York, I, I would start on my orchestral tenor and then branch out. And I would make sure I, I played, you know, both of those because any day you don't know what call you're going to get, you know, you know, it could right. be, you know, Larry Farrell called me at 720 one, one day to, to make it eight o'clock, you know? Oh, so <laughs> oh. See, the thing for me is I would get lost. There would be no way I could get there in time. I, you know, if it, especially if it was before GPS, I would have just been lost, regardless if I could play the part or not. Oh, you don't want to drive. <laughs> you jump on the subway. There you go. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Man, that's that's frightening stuff, man. Those kind you of drive, stuff. you won't find a parking spot. So you have to pay, yeah. pay the parking garage what you would have made on the gig. So, oh, man. <laughs> That is scary stuff, man. All right, we're going to take a moment, uh, a break from our discussion with both Dr. Israel Butler and the wonderful uh, good doctor himself, John Marcellus, emeritus professor from the Eastman School of Music, uh, to get into our one and only sponsor, for the Leadology podcast, and that is Leadology Volume 1. Oh, see the relationship there? This is my book. This is the Trombone Method book. That's about the art of lead trombone playing. And it contains all kinds of fun stuff that I've been having a blast shedding, practicing out there in the woodshed. You know, here at Weast World Productions, I practice this stuff all the time and I can tell it's made a huge difference. This first volume, um, and as the name suggests, there will be a second volume coming soon, but this first volume is all about uh, the foundation of air efficiency, or as I describe it facetiously, to air 
is human. So it's all about relaxing and letting the air do all the work for you rather than that nasty pressure that can happen if we're not careful. So we can expand our upper register and just have a nice relaxed approach to playing the horn. So I, the way that I get into that is through a whole section on warm-ups um, and uh, lip slurs as well as related things to that, gliss tones I call them. So there's a whole uh, introductory section on that, followed by 30 legato etudes, which um, is a, a, a fun thing that I put together first at the University of North Texas when I was teaching there as something for my fully formed and already functional jazz trombone studio that um, didn't need much in the way of improvisation instruction, but this was something that would work on the upper register. The etudes themselves are progressive in nature, meaning that there's entry level, intermediate, and then advanced. So there's 30 of them, 10 of each category. I also get into uh, an entire section on developing style as it's related to playing lead trombone, which is very similar to developing style, syntax, and vocabulary and improvisation in general. Uh, but I get into uh, listening and, uh, as Clark Terry would say, emulate, assimilate, and then you will innovate. So there's a, a pretty extensive listening list as well as a whole section where I analyze some of my recorded lead trombone playing with uh, big band, funk type groups, rock groups such as Vinyl Hampton, and uh, a trombone band where I wrote a number five pieces for that express purpose. But of course, I'm leaving out uh, one of the most important aspects of this book, Leadology Volume One, and that is are the 30 cartoons that I've included. I call it kind of a uh, Trojan horse for my cartoon strip called Are You Hip? And it's a jazz cartoon strip featuring the hapless trombonist Herbie Wellington and his erstwhile associate Miles Shortbread, among many other people. So that's Leadology Volume 1. Stop by our website where you are already listening to this podcast at leadtrombone.com and order a bunch of copies today because, you know, uh, every time a trombonist makes a little money, an angel gets its wings. boy, Clarence. So let's go back to our discussion with Dr. Isria Butler. So uh, what would be, uh, I'll just dive right into a trombone question here. What is the Isria Butler daily routine when possible? So let's say you're, like say for instance, uh, Thursday, you've got the Gateways performance. It's going to happen at uh, Midwest. So what's going to be your regime there in the hotel room? Scales. Scales. Interesting. I play, I play a lot of scales. Um, during the pandemic, uh, the guy I kind of studied with after Doc um, was Weston Sprott, plays mm -hmm. in the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. And he started telling me about how he switched to a, a routine because he didn't have a lot of time to practice. Because mm. he's the dean of the Juilliard Preparatory Division, as well as teaching other places and playing in the Met. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a scale routine, just starting on B flat in the staff, playing B flat chromatic um, major, and then all three forms of the minors with arpeggios, 
and mm -hmm. then you play that down to E flat or E, depending if you got your straight horn or not. Yeah. And starting on F in the staff, doing the same thing down to B, mm -hmm. and then starting uh, B flat on the staff down to F sharp. Wow. Always wow. just with the so scales just, just and then the minors. Yeah, the, the scales take some time, but you know you're 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 working on connecting the chops, the registers, and yeah. you're working on your slide technique. That's that's pretty much that's the standard go to. I I recently found this um, Yaroslav Chimera or Jerry, as some people called him, right. Chimera, um, yeah. daily daily routine book that. Um, I inherited from from one of my teachers from high school and I cracked it open and started, you know, looking at it. And there's actually some recordings of him playing on YouTube because they, they came uh -huh. with a record. Uh-huh. Yeah, beautiful sound and and uh and and flexibility, you know, like like crazy. For sure out of print. Like I I'd never seen it, but I I I stumbled across it um because one of my teachers, Jamie Weir, mm. uh owns a publishing house we're, we're estate music um he gave me his library wow uh, i found it you know i moved a bunch but I, I found it you know the other day and this i think it's a great book but it's scales again yeah yeah it's mostly scales and some wicked um, lip flexibility you know i had a, a friend who's not playing now he might end up hearing this this broadcast eventually but his name is scott bentall and he was a chicago person and legend in chicago and to this day is one of my favorite lead players lead trombonist and he swore by that book i had hung out with him right before i went out with maynard's band and he just swore by that book and said so many of the great players had used it so yeah i think doc told me that i think tommy dorsey studied with with Chimura. Some of the some of the great you know players in New York studied with them. I had heard that too. You heard that, Doc? Yes, I vaguely remember that at my age. <laughs> ah, we we're Isri and I are just uh, junior seniors, and uh, so you know we we're working on that. I'll speak for myself. I'm working on it. I forget. I I woke up dreaming that I'd forgotten a friend's last name, and I woke up and I sure enough I had forgotten it, and I had to look it up. Man, it's. Dreams do come true. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Oh man. Okay, so you're doing all this stuff. You're in. Uh, you're at Eastman, and now you're out of Eastman, and uh, doing things in New York, and and staying in that vicinity. You were East Coast for a while. Yeah, for a long while. Um, yeah, I was freelancing, and then I started working on my doctorate at at Rutgers. Right. And was that when Conrad was there? Or no, it was before Conrad. I don't know. Conrad was there. Um, oh, okay. And I, you know, I, I had already been subbing for him with the Mingus band before I right. started. Right. I, I met him a few times and I said, Hey, you know, I, I studied with doc. I heard you studied with him when you were in DC. And then he played with the Eastman jazz ensemble for Nisma. Um, I think it was in Syracuse or oh. I know we had to do a bus ride there. And I should mention that we're talking about Conrad Herwig, the great trombonist and writer. But the Conrad Herwig, yeah, the rad. And, uh, yeah, it was funny. I, I I talked to him again. You know, I met him at the the Rochester Jazz Festival, and then I talked to him um, when when we played his arrangements, and he was he was our featured soloist with Bill Dobbins. 
Yeah. When I got to New York, I called him up and I said, Hey, you know, are you playing anywhere? You know, and uh, he got me in to see him at the Iridium with the Mingus mm. band. Yep. And it was funny. I was sitting in a Darcy James argue rehearsal that I was subbing on. Oh, that must have been. You know that intense. band? I love that band. I love Darcy. I love everything yeah. about that band. Yep. And right after it got done, my phone, you know, buzzed, and it was like, you know, Conrad, and he's like, "Hey, can you do me a solid?" And I, Uh-oh. I was brand new in New York. I was like, I don't, "Yeah, I guess you know, he could have been asking me to, you know, wash his car or babysit his kids or I don't know." Yeah. But I said, "Can you can you sub for me in the Mingus band tonight?" Whoa! I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know where it is or whatever. And he's like, okay, cool. Sue Mingus is going to call you and give you the password Damn. to the website so you can go onto the website and, and you know, download the music so you can, you know, have a chance to look at it before the wow. gig. Wow. And it was lead? You were subbing on lead? Um, no, I, I think, um, no, I was playing second. I think. Well, still, yeah. That's, yeah. that's crazy. That's not easy book. No, but I mean, I learned how to sight read. <laughs> so that was helpful. That I answers Frank, the... Frank Lacey one time was like, ah, how do you, how did you, you read all that stuff? How'd you, I was like, I went to Eastman. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I know how to read music. There you go, doc. It's a testimony. Testimony. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's, that's incredible. That is really, that's a, a wonderful story for it. Uh, you know, students out there talking about how does one practice uh, learning to sight read? There's there's your answer. Right well, there. you know, it, it, you, it's it's a, a, a skill that can easily diminish. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, in New York, there, there's lots of reading bands, um, lots of bands that will rehearse before every gig. So that's, you know, definitely helpful. It's yeah. I, I get kind of... Um, if I'm not playing a lot, like, you know, in, in different groups, I kind of get self-conscious and like, oh, well, my, you know, my reading, because it really, you can practice it at home. Right. It's not the same. Man, that's, you know, Doc Severinsen used to tell me there's no way to practice the gig. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I totally agree. And like, you know, you suffer me with Basie. Woo! It's uh, you know, it's it a different type of endurance and, and yep. concentration and everything that you can't recreate. So I always feel, you know, if I'm not gigging where I'm living, like when I was in Georgia, I yeah. was not, unless I got on a plane. So I would show up and everybody else is playing gigs all the time. I mean, right. guys are in LA, some are in New York, some are, you know, scattered about, but yeah. Wherever they are, they're they're gigging and and uh, you know they're they're on their A game because they yeah. you know, gigging all the time. They played a gig last night before they got on the plane. Right. Yeah, they could even take a day off, you know, be, by traveling and still yeah. be killing it the next day. That's true. Yeah. That's a good good point. You know, uh, Israel mentioned it was a, I had the the honor of subbing for him once with the Basie band, and uh, man, that'll set that'll set you straight real quick sitting in with that band those guys whoo they are for real it's a group of virtuosos and, and the tempos are there's no lying in those tempos they are it's truthful tempos every one of them 
I remember telling, because I'd known Clarence for a long time, Clarence Banks. And uh, I said, man, when's, when does that riff come in? Is that a thing? He goes, well, it's coming up. I said, whoa, was that it? He goes, yeah, it's right. Oh, damn. Yeah. So I, I remember telling the cats, I said, you know, another, another 20 or 30 gigs, guys, and I'll have this down. That's, well, the, the lick that's not written. Right. Yeah. That's, and you, yeah. you shared it with me ahead of time and I was shedding it. I listened to the recording, but no, when you get on the gig and it's that's good, that's good, that's good up and all this stuff's happening. And then wham, that's in, that's in basic. Yes. In the chart, yeah. basic. Yep. Yeah, but, but the, the page that's on is lost. So somebody, somebody reprinted it like you're nice, you know, very nicely reprinted. Yeah. But the, the lick is gone because the you know that third page was was you know fell off somewhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was that was that was a fun thing, yeah. man. And when we finally got anything. What's like that? The trombones, the trombones. They won't warn you. The trumpets. You hear them talking. Right. And they'll like if it's a sub, one of the the older guys will coach them. They'll be like, all right, mm -hmm. when you get to this spot, you're gonna lay back. This goes like this, and they'll sing it to you. Right. But when you're if you're trombone sub they don't no nope. like they don't tell I, you anything i think they enjoyed watching me melt on stage man i was cracking yeah. clarence up left and right he helped me a little bit you know oh, and I appreciate, nice. yeah clarence, clarence, clarence is clarence, nice yeah he because he's got the whole all the numbers memorized you know i said oh which tune is that uh it's 54 oh okay yeah so he was he was great with that but uh what a what a treat that was, man! By the time we got to uh, April in Paris at the rehearsal, it was there was a chart that I knew, so I just played way too loud. I was wow, 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 no, no! And Scotty was like, eh, "It might be a little too much there, Steve." <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy to play something I knew. Oh, so yeah. when did uh, when did all the bassy stuff? When did you start uh, start getting into that? How did you uh, how did that journey begin for you? Clarence called me to sub on third because Alvin Walker was sick. And uh, that was like 2007. Mm. I think I'd been in New York about a year or two. And um, I went out on a tour. And it wasn't just like a one gig. It was like a tour. Mm -hmm. I got on a plane wow. and met them, some, met them in St. Louis or Kansas City or something. And, and we went on a tour of the Midwest like wow, Wyoming and all kinds of crazy places for like so, two or three weeks. Oh, that's wonderful! So you had a bunch of gigs to zero in on everything and get it right. Although you were yeah. probably right the first gig, you know, knowing you. But uh, uh, well, I mean, you have to have big ears because the stuff is not written right. <laughs> The legend is true. What you hear about the Basie, uh, Basie band, yeah. even even nowadays, you know, there's a lot of it that's, that's yeah. definitely a, a a language, man. Well, it's it's that's right. It's it's passed down because mm. somebody was sitting in that chair, you know, played with Basie or played with somebody who played with Basie, and it's it's all passed down so that you know they is done is done the right way because there's right. that information is there um and then i ended up playing um bass trombone quite a bit that's right you did both you you played all the chairs in the section right at, at, at a I, played certain all, point. Yeah, I, I played all the chairs and then i started seven for 
for Dave Kime. Um, and he and was then, the lead player for many years, right? Yep, he was the lead player for probably probably 20 years or something. Wow. And then uh, he retired after COVID because he just didn't want to fly anymore. It's too much. Yeah. That's when I wow. took over 2021, right? Just right before I saw you in Midwest. Really? That's when you had started being lead? Yeah, I think I started the month before that. Man, I, I should have gotten, uh, I think, an Oscar at that at that Midwest event because I had something was wrong with my neck and it I was in extreme pain the whole time. But I was like, I was OK, so here's Israel. I need to be cool. And I'm like screaming in pain. I'm like, yeah, man, how's it going? It's a, it's a pleasure to meet you, man. I, was, I thought I was going to scream and then uh, got it taken care of a week after that. But oh, wow. So this time it'll be easier just to uh, smile when I see you. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know you were struggling. I, I was. You yeah. Took us the pizza and we couldn't figure out how to open your car door to get out. <laughs> That's right. We had a whole thing because Frank Frank Green wanted to hit. Uh, uh, what did he want? Al Al uh, Al Lumadi. He wanted to go to Lumadi Pizza, uh-huh. and uh, I had never been there. You know, I'd been in Chicago now for about a year at that point. I thought and, you wanted Pequods. He wanted originally Pequod's. Where, where did we go? We went to Pequod's first, we went, and they we went. We went to Lou's across town. Right, it was Luminati's after, but after one trying Pequod. Yeah, it we. A, but it was, but it was like Greg Black and you and me yep. and um and Frank and and another trumpet player too. I think. Wow! All of us crammed into my my Tesla, my little Starship that I'm so proud of. Zooming around, taking wrong turns, ended up in Lower Wacker, and, and we're lucky that we survived that night. That was, oof. Remember, we got was it Pequods where they it was full and they wouldn't let us. And I said, I even took the guy aside. I said, "Look, man, this is the Count Basie Orchestra. You know, they're very famous, and and we were told that we had a reservation." <laughs> I tried to, I tried to pull one to get us in there, and he's like, oh, "I don't care." Then we that would work in Japan. I don't that wouldn't work over here. Yeah, right, right. So you guys just you just got back from how was that? A big tour in Japan? Or were you at the Blue Note or what did you uh we were mostly at the Blue Note and then we yeah. went to two other trips. Um one by uh seven hour but ride in a minibus. Whoa! <laughs> that must have been interesting. <laughs> you know the sh- the little blue note shuttle that they come get you from the hotel to take you to the gig. Right. Yeah, we were we rode in those for seven hours. <gasps> seven hours. And and yeah. what's the what's the rest stops like? Any place where you can the get rest stops food? are amazing. Really? So the best food you'll find is at those little rest stops because there's no fast yeah. food in Japan. Ah. I that's stopped cool. and had I had this this um pork katsu thing that was like covered in an egg and rice and Ooh. and uh and, and a soup. It was amazing. And it was at a rest stop. At a rest stop, man. Because you're not going to get that here. This, that is the place where you don't want to get sushi or anything. Is that a rest stop? In, no, not in, here. In no, 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 not at a gas station. They, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, they had some actual sit-down restaurants. And they had the thing where you order from the little machine. Hmm. Press the picture and put in your, your yen. And, and then uh, it's quick. But it's, it's not fat food. I haven't been there in a minute. It's still, everything's still yen out in the country, huh? Yes, yeah. Once you get out of Tokyo and stuff. 
Well, yeah, still yen in Tokyo. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and right now is a good time to go because the dollar is strong to the yen. So, mm. so you you were y'all were eating well on that those little rest stops. Yeah, I mean, every the food was great everywhere. I mean, the yeah. only place we went to was strange. It took us to Big Boy. Oh no, <laughs> we we were out in the country in uh, Ichinoseki. Mm. That's that's where we did the seven hour ride, and then for dinner. It was, uh, it wasn't hamburgers, but, it, you know, but it, it had the big boy, you know, little guy out, outside. The guy out, right. <laughs> Man, that was my very first job in my life was working at a big boy. And it was, it was not pretty. That would be, <laughs> what a shame, go all the way to Japan and eat at a big boy. Oh, yeah, we, we, we got sorry. a kick out of it. I'll bet that, yeah, it was hilarious, man. Or like wow. Frank had Frank had like tempura shrimp or something, you know. It wasn't Yeah. Like, is he I hope he's still sticking. He was he was considering himself at least vegetarian there for a while. I wonder if he's still doing that. Yeah, no, he doesn't eat meat. That's yeah. good. He keeps talking about wanting to hang here in Chicago and he he talks about pizza and you know, I'll mention barbecue and some pulled pork and there's this big Jones restaurant that has great chicken and yeah, he says like he wants to do it. We'll see. I'm going to have to make sure we have some good vegetarian fare. Yeah, fish, at least fish. Now we're talking about uh, John uh, Dobrot knows who we're talking about with Frank Green, the great lead trumpet player extraordinaire uh, with Count Basie now again, thankfully, that he, he recovered from his scare. Uh, and he's also with Chris McBride's big band. And everybody's big man. If they want a great lead player, Frank is there. Yeah, he's busy. He is busy. All right, then. That concludes part one of the debut Leadology podcast. We had to break it up into two parts. We had so much to talk about. And we closed with a uh, shout-out to Frank Green, who had, I should clarify, a medical scare, but he's doing great now. So thanks to Israel Butler and special surprise guest, Dr. John Marcellus, Professor Emeritus of the Eastman School of Music. Also a big thank you to the good folks at Elmhurst University who make this podcast possible. I'm starting a uh, jazz trombone studio deluxe out there, so if you're looking to study jazz trombone, I hope you consider Elmhurst University. All right, folks, that's it for part one. Stay tuned for part two. And we'll see you then. In the meantime, take it away, Stevie.